What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. The first time I can distinctively remember going to a large city, I was a sophomore in high school. I was about 15 or 16 years old, and my family, we were going down to Atlanta, Georgia to visit my aunt. And There we decided to drive there, and so we drove from Virginia down through North Carolina, down through South Carolina. We arrived to Georgia, and my aunt and uncle there met us at the time, and so that somebody else could drive on our behalf. Because for the first time in my life, I've seen the videos, and you know, I did go to Miami when I was like in first grade, but I don't remember anything about the traffic. I was probably asleep in the back of the van. But there I am sitting in the back of the vehicle and I see six lanes of traffic on one side of the road for the very first time. I was scared to death, man, and thankful I wasn't at the the seat of the wheel. Anyways, while we were there, we had this bright idea to go to a baseball game, to the Atlanta Braves, to see that historic Major League Baseball team play. So we go to the big stadium. We find our place in the, in the, in, there in the seats. And it's interesting. Whenever you go to a big stadium, of course, you're going to have the concession booths inside the walkways near the restrooms. But you're also going to have these guys or these gals who are going to have these straps on and have this big container walking up and down the staircase saying, Peanuts, peanuts, get your peanuts. Chocolate, chocolate, get your chocolate. Cotton candy, cotton candy, get your cotton candy. They're crying out in the public arena so that we can stay comfortable and conveniently in our seats and buy snacks and Coca-Colas or whatever they might have to sell. And I share that to say this, that the one selling those snacks up and down the stadium in a big arena like the Atlanta Braves baseball field is very similar to the word in which the Apostle Paul uses here in the Bible, the word preach in verse 2. It literally means to proclaim. It means a crier in the street. So just as that man or woman walking up and down in the stadium of a baseball game or some other arena is crying out, get your snacks. We know that the king or the emperor or the pharaoh of the ancient world did not have the fancies of the internet, did not have the fancies of the radio, and did not have the fancies of television. So what they had is they had an individual who worked for them and they would march into the marketplace and bring the message on behalf of the king. And that was their job. Giving announcements, giving declarations, giving whatever it was the king wanted to declare. The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing to this young Timothy in the faith, 
you got to understand, Timothy was a man who was greatly influenced by his mother and his grandmother. They taught him the major Bible stories in the Old Testament. They taught him the law, the Torah, and the prophets. And they taught him about the coming Messiah that would come. And at some point in Timothy's life, and at some point in Paul's missionary journeys, the sovereignty of God and divine providence would allow their lives to cross paths and collide. And Paul the Apostle took young Timothy underneath his wing. And this is his final charge he gives to young Timothy. And the message he is delivering is three words. Proclaim God's word. Proclaim God's word. That's the title of the message today. I believe that is the theme of verses 1 through Five of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I really believe it is the theme of the book here, the theme of the Apostle Paul's life, and the theme of every Christian's life today is to proclaim God's word. Today, I want to do things slightly different when I give to you my key thought or my key statement. That is, you know, the, the thought that I have that summarizes everything I'm about to share with you. Well, it's a statement that you can see behind me. But what I want us to do today is I want us in unison to read this statement aloud. Let me get out the way so we can all see it. You think you can do that with me? I am called to proclaim God's word. Can you do that again for me? I am called to proclaim God's word. And one more time, just for emphasis sake, I am called to proclaim God's word. And throughout the rest of the sermon, when I go to reiterate this statement, I'm going to invite you to say it with me again. So let's try it. I am called to proclaim God's word. You got it? Because it's not going to be in this, on the screen for much longer. But hey, listen, that is, that is the calling that God has placed on your life and my life. But now that calling looks different for everybody. For me, God has called me to proclaim his word to be a pastor. For you, God might call you to proclaim his word as a teacher in Sunday school or a teacher in the youth department. Or some other way, shape, or form. I don't know what it is, but I want to share with you from this passage the way in which God has called us to proclaim His Word. So the question is simply this. How am I going to proclaim God's Word? Do you ever think about that? If, can you say it with me? I am called to proclaim God's Word. If we are called to do that, how exactly do we do this? Well, I believe the Apostle Paul, which, by the way, is writing to the best of our knowledge. This is sometime in the mid to late 60s AD. He's writing. This is the very final message he has to the world. He's in a dungeon for sharing the gospel. And here he's talking to young Timothy. But I want you to know that this book right here is not just for young Timothy. This book right here is not just for other pastors like myself. This book right here, God has strategically placed it into the canon so that we could be reminded each time we read it, I am called to proclaim God's word. But the first way we do this is, is found in verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. The first way we can proclaim God's word is simply this. I will proclaim God's word consistently. I will proclaim God's word consistently. Gives the idea of day after day, 
night after night, week after week, month after month, year after year, we are going to be at it, proclaiming the good news of God's word. In this, in this first verse and into the beginning part of verse number two, we see that the Apostle Paul is going to speak about how he's a, it's a charge here. He's going to speak about this charge that is a, a, a final pleading, like a, a coach. You know, maybe you played sports before and, man, that first half, man, that team just beats you down. I mean, you're down 20 points and there's no hope. And the coach comes in the locker room and somehow... The coach always knows how to say it and when to say it. And what he said, you don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like he brought a match to the table and lit it and set us on fire. And we go back and we win the game. And so Paul's writing with this sense in mind. He's kind of giving this pep talk to young Timothy with this charge. And he says, I'm charging you before God and Jesus Christ about the judgment to come about the gospel, and about even when men reject this word. Notice, consistently proclaim the day of judgment before Christ. That's what we see in verse 1. In verse 1, it speaks about how he's charging him. Listen, remember, remember I told you about that public crier, the one who goes out and, and has a message on behalf of somebody else? Well, here, the Bible is, is locking in on the authority in which Paul is speaking. And it's not the authority of Rome and Nero. It's not any of that. It, it's the authority of the heavenly throne room, God. And he says, my authority is God. This word for God means the supreme divine being in the universe. And the word for Lord here is synonymous here. But, but it also goes on to mean that this is the supreme deity of deities who has all power and authority. And so he says this supreme God who has all power, all authority is Jesus Christ who I'm speaking on behalf of. And he says this is the one that we're all going to stand before one day. We've got to consistently deliver that message to the table. I am called to proclaim God's word. Can you say it with me? I am called to proclaim God's word. We do that consistently. We do that in each age of the church. We do that in each generation of the church. We do it in each year of the church. We point people to the fact that one day they're going to stand face to face with the reality that God is their God, whether they believe it or not. Here it says they're going to, he's going to judge all those who are quick. Now this, the King James uses that word quick, but all it means is to, is to be alive. It doesn't mean that I'm so quick on the racetrack, I can beat you in a, in a mile. That's not what it means. It means that those who are alive. And then it says, those who are dead. All those who are living right now will stand before God, Jesus specifically. And all those who are in the cemetery, such as the Martin Cemetery over there, or any other cemetery in the world, every being that has ever lived or ever will live will stand before God. So if, if you're not proclaiming this aspect of God's word, you're not proclaiming the entirety of God's word. Now check it out now. It goes on to say, at his appearing. Now if you pull this word appearing out, it, in, it means the advent. Which could mean the first advent, or it could mean the second advent. 
And so in other words, the word appearing, whenever you see this word used in association with Jesus Christ, it means that he first appeared many years ago in that Bethlehem manger. But there's coming a day after he ascended up to glory, he will appear again the second time and establish his kingdom. And we know that every Christian is going to give an account of the judgment seat for how we've lived and conducted our life as a Christian. But all those who don't know Christ will stand before him at the great white throne judgment. And so that is why it is so urgent that we consistently proclaim God's word in this manner. But then check it out now. It says preach the word. Verse 2. Consistently proclaim the hope of the gospel in Christ. This phrase, preach the word, like I said earlier, the word preach, if I could simplistically give you a definition of it, it literally means to proclaim, to herald forth, but specifically divine truth. And even more specifically, it means to herald forth the divine truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the hope we have. See, the reality is, is the bad news is one day, because we're all fallen, we're going to stand before God. But the good news is, is that we have an advocate. His name is Jesus Christ, and he can stand in our behalf. And all of the wrath of God that was poured out on him on Calvary, Jesus suffered through so we would not have to spend eternity separated from God. Then, of course, the word, word, in the Bible here, is a word that, that, that could mean a spoken word. It's, it's, it's a term that could also mean written word, but I believe what it is referring to here is the word of God as a whole. As not just the Torah, not just the Psalms and the, the Proverbs and, and the prophets, but, but, and not just the Gospels, but, but all the entirety of God's word. And he's saying, proclaim the divine truth that Jesus saves, that Jesus comes to deliver from every part of the Bible. That's what we're to do consistently do that if you're teaching in junior church or or sunday school or whatever you're doing and you're sharing god's word with somebody you can talk about the prophet isaiah but you should also talk about how isaiah's life is a reminder of the life of christ is the great prophet when when you're talking about the apostle paul you can talk about how he wow he was a missionary and evangelist but it reminds us of a greater missionary and evangelist and his name is jesus so no matter where you are, from the old to the new, we can always point people from the word to the gospel. Listen, remember our, our thought today? I am called to proclaim God's word. But we do that consistently. So then check it out now. Here it says, not only preach the word, but it says be instant in season and out of season. Consistently proclaim the word when man rejects Christ. Not just concerning the judgment of Christ, not just concerning the gospel of Christ, but also when man rejects Christ. Paul, by the way, maybe you didn't realize this, but Paul lived in a day when he didn't have Walmart. Didn't have the Supercenter. Paul lived in a day where he didn't have Aldi. Didn't have Food Line. Didn't have the grocery stores that we had. And so he knew that the usage of this terminology would, would be very familiar with the ancient world. Just as the farmer goes out on that field, plows that soil, plants those seeds, takes those weeds out of there, nurtures those plants, 
so that he could get the most produce out of them. The Bible says that, hey, when there is a harvest coming on and when there is no harvest, in other words, when it is an opportune moment in history, when we can share the gospel, we are to share it. But then when it is not an opportune time, we are to share the gospel. We can do that in many ways. We can do that through good news clubs. We can do that through door-to-door evangelism. We can do that by going to the rescue mission. We can do that by visiting somebody in a a hospital. We can do that in so many ways. And so the way in which I am inviting you is to figure out how exactly God is calling you right now and then consistently do what he's calling you to do. I am called to proclaim God's word. May I share with you secondly, not only how I, I don't know about you, but I will proclaim God's word consistently. But secondly today, from verse 2 down to verse 4, I will proclaim God's word correctly. I will proclaim God's word correctly. Think about this. This statement would imply there's a right way and a wrong way. And I know that's not very popular. But notice here, in verse number 2, the Bible gives us, and verse 3 and verse 4, gives us the way in which we can know we're declaring or proclaiming the Word of God correctly. We live in an age where people are abusing God's Word. We are. We have people that you can watch on TV or listen on podcasts or go on YouTube and find them, and they're... They're saying, hey, God wants you to be rich. Hmm. Now, I know Abraham was rich and his descendants were. And we can find people in the Bible who are rich, both Testaments. But, you know, you know the, the thing that really strikes my mind about preachers who are saying that? Obviously, they're emphasizing the life of Christ. But have you ever, have you really read the New Testament? I, I mean, I would want to ask them. Because Jesus the greatest preacher that has ever lived, was not rich by any means, by our modern definition. And then Jesus said, out of all the people that have ever lived, there is none greater than John the Baptist. You know what? John the Baptist wasn't rich either. But then they're going to also say, God wants you to be healthy. Now, I know that they'll probably go to John's epistles in the New Testament and say, but I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in good health. Have you ever wrote somebody a text message or an email or a letter and said, hey, I hope this message or letter or email finds you well? Well, just as we would say that, John in his letter is giving a well wish to, those, to his recipients. And so we can't take that passage and many of the others and say that God wants every person that has ever lived to be fully healthy and have perfect vision and have perfect um, everything else in genetics. It's just not the case. We live in a fallen world. I was born with horrific eyesight. Sure, I know God has the power to touch my body to where I never have to use contacts or or glasses ever again, but he has not. And in fact, there are many instances in the New Testament where God sovereignly allowed somebody to not be fully healthy so that he could be greater glorified and so that they could proclaim God's word with their life. And so listen, 
I'm going to tell you today, as we're looking in verse 2, 3, and 4, it is going to give us the keys to unlock how we can correctly proclaim God's word. And the first term I want to draw your attention to is the word long-suffering. So consider this. Consider, uh, excuse me, correctly proclaim God's word with patience. It takes patience. This past Tuesday, we were ministering, which, by the way, you're welcome to go. The fourth Tuesday evening of every month, I've been asked to preach at the rescue mission. You and your family are welcome to join us. But there, myself, along with several others, were there at the rescue mission. And you've got to understand, the rescue mission is, is at a place where people have literally hit rock bottom. Now, some of them are just there because of life has just knocked them down pretty hard, and, and they just, you know, had a bad hand or drew the short straw. But then some of them are literally there because of their own foolish decisions, right? And there, there I am preaching... At, at, at the rescue mission. All these different people there. And, and I'm, I'm going to try to illustrate this to you. But, but I don't have a chair up here. Uh, so I'm just going to sit right here. Maybe you can see me. I'm going to pretend I'm sitting. All right? I'm going to pretend I'm sitting. And so this, on the front row, on the front row, sitting like right here. On the front row, he was... <sighs> he was looking like that. He was wide asleep with his tongue hanging out. And the temptation for me is... Listen, man, I, I could have been doing a whole lot of other things than being here right now on a Tuesday evening. <laughs> Spending a couple hours of my life coming here to try to, to serve you, and you're going to sit there asleep? Not trying to hide it, but just full-fledged out in the open? You know, it takes patience. It does. It does. And that's what proclaiming God's word does. It requires us to, to do it correctly with patience. That means that when we're there and they're just spread out and they've made that pew, their couch, and their bed, they're just going to sleep there. We need to realize that, hey, God has called us to use long-suffering because God is also long-suffering and patient to us. But then he says we are to be long-suffering and patient when we are reproving people. This gives the idea of admonishing somebody. It's kind of like, you know, uh, somebody's come up beside you and wrapped their arms around you and said, hey, you know you know, Al, that was really good, but, but you know, the way you could have made that better is by doing this. That's what reprove is, in a sense, admonishing somebody. But then it says rebuke. It means to confront somebody boldly. There's times where we got to just spearhead this issue and say, do you not realize what you're doing and how it can hurt the body of Christ? But then, but then he says, exhort. This is the manner of encouragement and edification. We are to do all of those things with patience. But then check it out now. It says doctrine. So correctly, proclaims God, pro, correctly proclaim God's word with patience, but, but also consider this truthfulness. Notice in verse number two, it says preach the word. Notice in verse number two at the end, it says doctrine. And then again in verse number three, it speaks about doctrine. And then in verse number four, it says truth. The word of God, which reveals to us a body of doctrine that God has given to us, is the truth. So we are to sift everything we hear from the televangelist or even a guy like me or whoever it is through the very word of scripture. And in fact, the word doctrine, I believe that it is Summariz it's a summarization of, of not just the teachings of the Torah, 
that Moses wrote down, not just the summarization of the historical accounts of the life of Israel and all the prophets in the Old Testament, and not just the, the life and, 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 and ministry of Jesus, and not just the book of Acts, and not just the Pauline and Peter and epistles, but I believe it is a summarization of the entirety of God's word and what God is revealing to humanity today. And that's what we are to preach and proclaim. Truth. My opinion does not matter. And neither does yours. The Republicans' opinion does not matter. And before I get too carried away, neither does the Democratic Party's either matter. I don't care what their view is on any theological issue. I care what God's Word says, and then I'm not budging on anything else. I don't care what the university professor says. He might have a PhD in, in postal digging. You know what I mean? He might have it. I don't care what he says. But if it doesn't line up with this book right here, we do not affirm it. We do it firmly. We also do it with patience. But then consider this. Correctly proclaim God's word with endurance. Notice in verse number three, it says, there will come a time when they, are, when they will not endure. Now, keep in mind, Paul is writing to young Timothy, and Paul had just commissioned Timothy to go to Ephesus and be the pastor of that great historic church in the ancient world. And he says, what I'm inclined to believe, that his reference to they will is a reference to the own body of people in his church and then the people in his town. And he says, there will come a time when they will not endure that sound doctrine, the right teaching, but they will go after people who are going to tickle their ears. And the Bible uses the word heap. In other words, they're going to pile up preacher and pastor and proclaimer and teacher this and teacher that to where they are going to hear what they want to hear. Have you ever sought to get advice? We've all been there. We went to this person to get advice because we knew they would say what we want them to say. Oh, yeah. Hey, don't lie to me. You're in church. We know we've all done that. Have you ever been to that other person and, and you, you go to them and they get, actually give you true advice and you're just like, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. Why would I listen to you? Well, here, verse 3 summarizes our culture and day. And so does verse 4. It says, they will turn away their ears from the truth. I'm told that the word turn away here in this passage that Paul uses it is a medical term to take a bone in the body that it's out of joint and to put it back in the joint or vice versa. And so here the idea is that they are going to bring in their own lustful desires and teachers who are not going to endure. They're going to be twisting the truth of God's word and then they're going to turn it to fables. We know what a fable is. It's like a myth or a story that has no basis of fact. One of the first fables that I can distinctively remember hearing as a child is the leprechaun story. Have you heard of that one? You know, the big rainbow that's in the sky? I was told by, I can't remember who or where or, or why I was told, but I was told that at the, at the very bottom of that rainbow, there was a pot of gold, and if you found it, you could have it. Sorry, sorry, man. If you haven't heard, 
that's not true. <laughs> it's not true. You can't get to the bottom of the rainbow. I'm not going to get into the scientific reasons why, but you can't get to it. And so here, the Bible says that these people are going to be turning to fables, things that are just, that have literally no basis on truth or fact. And they're going to believe the myth. You know, sometimes it's easier to believe a lie than it is the truth. Sometimes it's easier for me to wake up in the morning and somebody just say, man, Brian, you look good. Instead of saying, Brian, you know, your hair's this way and that way, you really need to get cleaned up. The truth of the reality is, is we are ugly in the sight of God and we need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us and to make us clean. I am called to proclaim God's word. And we do that consistently and correctly. But then thirdly and finally from verse 5, I will proclaim God's word compassionately. After we realize we're going to do it consistently, that is, sharing about the judgment and the good news of the gospel, and even when people reject it, and we are going to do it correctly with patience, truthfulness, and endurance. But then here we now, we've we got to also have a love. Love. Love, I believe, encapsulates verse 5 with this context. He says, watch in all things. He says, endure these trials and afflictions. He says, do and labor and toil in the work of this evangelist and make full proof of your ministry. Here in this verse, I believe that due to the reference of evangelists here, I believe it is a reminder to us that when we are out proclaiming God's word, we are to do it with love, remembering the time in our life when we were lost and we were running astray away from God and that somebody stepped in and showed us God's love through sharing his word. Consider verse 5. It speaks about these afflictions. This word affliction is a trial. And so compassionately proclaim God's word in afflictions. You know, the, the things that you go through in life is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. So many times we have a skewed focus of the trials of life. We begin to say, God, well, why are you allowing this to happen to me? And God is silent. And he is always generally silent during the test of his students and his pupils, and his disciples. And God is allowing us to go through trials so that we can endure through them. And so the world can see how we walk through trials. So our lost family members, so our lost co-workers, so the lost people that are living in the Roanoke Valley can see that that's how you go through a trial. And because they went through a trial, I want what they have. This word watch, it means to be on guard, to be sober-minded. And when we are going through a trial, we've got to understand sometimes we can, we can lose our sense of reality and our focus about why God allows bad things to happen to good people and good things to happen to good people. He says do it compassionately, even in afflictions. But then the Bible says do the work of an evangelist. Compassionately proclaim God's word in occupations. Listen, I know when, when I say occupation here, you instantly are reminded of what you did for a living. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Here it says our occupation. This is not my occupation. This is all of our occupations is to be an evangelist. And it's interesting, I, I gave the references up on the, up on the uh, PowerPoint slide for you. But in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, is the only time throughout all of God's word where the Bible specifically names somebody who's called an evangelist. Does anybody know his name? Philip is his name. 
he was an evangelist. And then there are only two other times outside of Acts 21 where the word evangelist is used. Of course, here in our passage today, but then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says that God has given some to be prophets, some to be apostles, some to be pastors and teachers, and then some to be evangelists. And all an evangelist is, it's not Billy Graham with the seven suits and seven sermons going up and having all these crusades, although an evangelist may do that. An evangelist is just somebody who makes known the good news of Jesus Christ. So listen, you can be a man or a woman to do that. You are an evangelist. You are called to tell people about Jesus. The word work there means to labor and toil. We've got to do that. But then check it out now. The last phrase here says, make full proof of thy ministry. This gives the idea of that you verify what God has called you to do and you carry it out. That's all it means. That means you can, you can go to a specific time and place when through a Bible verse or through a sermon or through whatever that God pressed upon your heart or pressed upon your mind to go into this specific area of ministry or service. That's all what ministry means is service. And by the way, the root word here for ministry is the same word we get for deacon or servant later on in the passages of the Bible. And so here he says, whatever you're called to serve in, there's a time and place in your life when you can verify it and then carry it out. Compassion. That's what ministry is all about. Compassion. That's what ministry is all about. So consider this. Compassionately proclaim God's word in vocations. I don't know what God is specifically calling you to do. But God is calling everybody to serve. We are all the body of Christ. The foot doesn't do what the hand does. Aren't you glad for that? And the brain doesn't do what the heart does. We all have a place in the body of Christ. So where are you serving? I am called to proclaim God's word. How are you doing that? You know what's interesting? Maybe you've done this, maybe you haven't, but... Maybe you don't even know what this is. Do you know what a last will and testament is? No, I'm not talking about the New Testament, okay? I'm talking about a last will and testament. That is, somebody's last will and testament is just basically a summarization of all the tangible assets or the financial um, means by which is sitting in a bank account or a retirement account or whatever that somebody has, and they're dishing out their requests on who it's to be divided to. That's all a last will and testament is. So-and-so is going to get my trophies, and so-and-so is going to get my sofa. So-and-so is going to get my car. So-and-so is going to get one-fourth of that real estate, etc. As you come to 2 Timothy, it's interesting. This book is the very last time Paul wrote down something to the best of our knowledge. And this chapter, this section here, has been called Paul's last will and testament. And it's one phrase. Proclaim God's word. How are you going to proclaim God's word the rest of your life? What's up, guys? Brian here again. 
Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.